Hello and welcome to Made to Measure, the podcast of the Journal of Trading Standards. I'm Paul Evans. In this episode, we'll be examining the illicit trade in puppies, a problem which has grown over the past year as people sought to assuage the loneliness and isolation of lockdown. The cute and cuddly photos of puppies for sale on online marketplaces often conceal the reality of cruelty, poor animal welfare and large-scale organised crime which lies behind many online puppy sales. We spoke with Trading Standard Scotland's Diane Bryson, Mike Flynn of the Scottish SPCA and CTSI lead officers Steph Young and David McKenzie about their experiences of dealing with the problem. Their key message to consumers is to only buy from reputable dealers. And the key message to trading standards professionals is to be vigilant and creative in tackling this exploitative and cynical trade. We started things off by going around the table, or rather the Zoom window, and meeting each of the experts. My name's Diane Bryson. I work for the National Intelligence Unit for Trading Standards Scotland. And through intelligence analysis, we identify national issues, which we will proactively tackle. And of course, one of which is the illicit trade in puppies. My name is Steph Young, and I am a team leader for the animal health and welfare team uh, within Stature County Council. Um, and alongside that, I'm the lead officer for Trading Standards, Charter uh, Trade Standards Institute for Animal Health and Welfare. I am Mike Flynn, Chief Superintendent of the Scottish SBCA. We deal with the uh, welfare outcomes from the puppy trade uh, and obviously target some of the, the bigger dealers and puppy farms that are in Scotland. Hi, my name is David McKenzie. I'm uh, Trading Standards Manager with the Highland Council in Scotland. And I also have a role as lead officer for e-commerce uh, with the Chartered Trading Standards Institute across the UK. Diane, I know that you and your team at TSS have been involved in cracking down on the illegal puppy trade. Could you give us some idea of, of the background to how it's come to your attention and what the scale of the, the problem is? For the past few years, Trading Standards Scotland have been involved in the tackling of the illicit trading puppies. And as with um, other types of illicit crime, there's a known link between the illicit trading pups and individuals involved in other types of serious and organised crime. So these include things like illegal drugs and money laundering and tax avoidance. So the current demand for dogs is, is outstripping the legitimate supply. And this has been exacerbated even more with COVID-19 and the lockdowns. So the marketplace has now become infiltrated with um intensive breeding establishments, inappropriate rehoming, illegal importation and unlicensed and undisclosed businesses. Over the past year, we have received probably over 300 intelligence reports across our intelligence database, Advice Direct Scotland um, and from other uh, partners. And these all relate to problems surrounding the illicit puppy trade. Um, animal welfare is the most documented complaint with the majority referring to puppies being purchased by consumers and subsequently fallen ill with suspicions that the pup has probably been bred on a puppy farm. So in such cases, the consumer um, detriment can range from the costs associated with unexpected vet bills due to ill health of the pup um, to quarantine costs. And in extreme cases, it can be the emotional and financial costs of um, paying for a puppy that is too poorly to survive. And when this happens, the consumers have little or no chance of obtaining redress um, against the breeder or seller despite being out of pocket 
So in one incident, um, there was a Cocker Spaniel puppy that had been uh, advertised on the Pets for Home website as being fully wormed, chip, um, available for £450. The pup was purchased by the consumer but became unwell shortly after. It was taken to the vet um, and it was confirmed by the vet that pup was suffering from parvovirus um, and it subsequently died shortly afterwards. It had also been uh, advised by the vet that Campylobacter uh, bacteria was also detected. So the consumer had incurred vet bills of over £1,800 and intelligence further provided that on social media, um, several other Cocker Spaniel pups had been sold by the same dealer, um, all had become ill with parvovirus and on one other of occasions, um, the pup had died as well. Uh, and this is a pattern we are seeing constantly at the moment. Um, but whilst animal health and welfare is not an issue coordinated by Trade and Standards Scotland, there's many aspects of the trade that are covered by the consumer protection rights in the same way any other goods and services are. So misrepresentation is another key area that's been complained about. And some of the specific areas which um, of note that we are seeing would be the likes of pups being advertised for sale online as home-reared, only for the customers to later determine that the pup may have been the product of a puppy farm, either through identification of um, a foreign microchip or possibly the pup developing symptoms synonymous with those that are bred on a puppy farm, like parvovirus. Um, there's also puppies who have been advertised for sale online by unlicensed breeders or by breeders who falsely claim to be Kennel Club registered. A misdescription of the breed of the dog being sold. Sellers claiming pups have received their first vaccinations or been microchipped when they haven't. Um, sellers failing to inform consumers that they are actually traders rather than a private seller. And we have seen um, that charities who claim to be working in the best interests and welfare of the pup, but are simply just doing it as a rouse for their own financial gain. So it can be seen from these findings that Consumers who purchase animals from illicit puppy traders are the in the vast majority of the cases are actually being misled by acts or omissions in relation to the goods they are buying. So Trading Standards Scotland um, had worked on a case in which the individuals involved in the operation that were identified from intelligence coming um, out of the work at Cairn Ryan Port, they were bringing large number of dogs through from Ireland and selling them within Scotland. The subjects um, who advertised for sale on the online site Gumtree, they had made misleading statements surrounding the sale of the dogs, claiming them to be bred uh, personally by the subjects within Scotland. Um, there was also misrepresentation by the sellers um, about the breed of the dog. So consumers were being misled into thinking they were buying one breed and ending up with uh, another breed. There was over £80,000 uh, worth of detriment calculated as a result of the sale of these puppies. So the case has been uh, reported to the Procurator Fiscal and this included charges uh, relating to the forming of a fraudulent scheme, uh, selling dogs without a licence and numerous consumer protection from unfair trading regulation offences. Being able to um, approach this kind of problematic area from a different angle it provides an opportunity for Trade and Standards Scotland to work alongside the key partners like SSPCA and local authorities and Police Scotland to tackle and address the key enablers identified um, as facilitating this illicit puppy trade. 
and and we can help and we can do that in um, consumer education with enforcement action and also with the collation of intelligence. Steph, what's your experience of the the scale of the problem? The issues with uh, puppy trading, it's it's countrywide, so it's across the whole of the UK. It isn't just, in fact, I'll go as far to say it's across Europe. It isn't just um, isolated to the United Kingdom. Uh, there are multiple elements to the puppy trade. One is that, you know, as already mentioned, we have seen an increase of rogue trade, and this is where people who are selling dogs who are not licensed breeders um, or third-party sellers when it's not permitted a lot of imports that are coming in from typically the European Union and being placed on the market for sale within the UK, often uh, because the within England and Wales with the licensing responsibilities for the activities which involve animals, which are your breeding and your pet shop sales, etc. Mum has to be with pups when those those pups are being sold. And so one of the things that we're seeing now is that, you know, there are dummy bitches being put with these puppies where actually that bitch isn't the mum to those pups um, and to all intents and purposes. Um, when somebody comes to buy a pup, knowing that mum's got to be there, then they will be taking a pup and actually that, that bitch isn't actually mum. And that then also makes you give cause for concern with regards to the rise that we've seen in puppy theft or, or dog thefts across the UK in recent months as well. What are these dogs being used for? Are they being used for some of these uh, bitches are they being bred from illegally? Are they being used as, you know, to, to make it look like it's a bitch to some of these pups which are coming in from some of the puppy farms abroad, etc. Uh, and again, we've already mentioned some of the um, animal rescue uh, bodies which are out there, which are bringing in some of the dogs from uh, Europe in relation to those types of animals. Again, bringing them in, putting on a show that they're actually doing it for the greater good of the animal. Actually, in some circumstances, we've identified it's for the greater good of that individual. And actually, it's not a charity that they're doing it for. They're not doing it for the welfare of the animal. It is all generated by money. The exact offences that we have across the UK, England, Scotland, Wales, exactly the same with regards misleading um, the consumer, there's consumer detriment there. You know, we've got fraudulent activity with regards to the way that some of these animals are being sold. Uh, quite often there's fraudulent documentation with regards to the certificates, the pedigree certificates, or claiming that they're kennel club registered when they're not. So there's a whole host of activity that sits behind this. I think the key thing is it, it, it is driven by supply and demand, and the offending is only against that individual who we can identify has we've got the evidence to support that person has committed the offence. Now, in relation to animals coming in from abroad, there's also a rabies risk there if those animals have not been correctly vaccinated and haven't had the anti-rabies vaccination, etc. So that exposes the country to a disease risk. And now, in relation to that, you can't, you cannot put a price. If the country comes down with rabies, you know, trying to manage a disease control, you can't put a price on the welfare. You've got some of these dogs being sold, like say, definitely coming out of puppy farms where you've got parvovirus. The emotional impact on individuals is that significant. Not only do they end up going to buy a pup, which is going to be, um, you know, anybody who's had a dog or a pet knows it becomes a member of the family. So you invest a lot of money. Some of these animals are going, you know, for, for thousands of pounds at the present moment in time because of the uh, demand for them. And, you know, you'll pay a couple of thousand pounds for, for a puppy potentially. And on top of that, then, if you've got to pay another £1,800 in veterinary fees because that animal suddenly becomes sick, on top of that, um, you know, that animal may never actually ever be right. But that finance can never actually sort of take over the actual animal welfare 
um, and that the, their welfare being compromised in that animal because of the way that it's been either transported into the UK or the way that it's been bred by uh, unlicensed breeders within the UK and, and put on the market. And also that emotional aspect for the individuals who are involved, it's really significant. And if you do have puppies that have to go into quarantine, then again, there's additional cost on the person who's got to put that, that animal into quarantine. But there's also those separation issues at a time when that dog should be being socialised and being able to interact with others. So the issues that have been identified by that, Diane, they're not unique to Scotland at all. It, it is countrywide. Uh, and I would say that, you know, if this isn't just about finance and consumer detriment. This goes deeper. It's about compromised animal welfare. It's about the, the emotional aspect that people get tied in when you, you look at, a, you know, bringing in a pup. Do we have any idea of the types of people behind this large scale trade in, in illicit puppies? I would suggest that it is definitely coming back down to um, organised crime for a lot of this. Um, and this isn't just organised crime within the UK. This is international organised crime. Um, a lot of the people who bring these animals in, um, they are fueling other sources. And, and the thing is, the penalties are not, they're not the highest penalties for sort of the crime that's being committed. It's a high value product that's been bought in, placed on the market with a very low value uh, penalty. And the only way you can really stop some of this is either look at the way that the offences are drafted and actually uh, look to try and place better responsibility on the individuals who are going out to obviously fuel this demand to say stop and think and there's got to be responsibility put on them in relation to where they're obtaining these dogs from. Um, and you look at things like proceeds of crime and start to take people to account through the finances. David, most of these puppy sales are being made online and obviously over the last 12 months or so, there's been a huge surge in, in online retail across the board. C can you speak to what's driven that rise in online retail beyond the, the, the COVID situation? Yeah, I think it's pretty widely recognised that, you know, that COVID has seen a massive increase in, in, in e-commerce. But I think it's no more than accelerating an existing trend. We've seen this over many, many years really now. Different ways of measuring this, but I think it's up to a third increase in, in less than a year that we've seen. Uh, since since COVID uh, struck, if you like, so this is something that's here to stay, and it, you know, and it's a bigger and bigger percentage of the of the retail market. It's a worldwide phenomenon. It's a, it's happening in countries that have a mature uh, e-commerce market and countries that don't. Um, Britain very much is a country that does have a mature e-commerce market, so it's particularly relevant. This this whole point is particularly relevant, I think, within the UK context. But a lot of this is positive in that, you know, it's opportunities for businesses to uh, start up, for others to grow and diversify, for consumers to have significant extra choice. So there are mostly positives. But as with any other mode of selling, when, uh, you know, with the very significant increase in e-commerce recently, uh, it intensifies the problems that do exist in, in relation to that form of selling. Such as, for example, um, it's already been touched upon here, you know, real organised criminals taking advantage of uh, some of the elements of uh, e-commerce to, uh, to, their, to their advantage, such as the potential anonymity uh, of, the, of, of the individual seller who's processing the sale of 
that you know the remoteness, the physical remoteness between the buyer and the seller, and, and that can be really difficult if things start going wrong with it, the sale and so on and so forth. It, it, I think a key theme in this, and I, I I say this across all kinds of different conversations in different market areas, but it's it's relevant to this conversation as well, and it's about what has been termed the collaborative economy. Um, now this term is used. It's always used to refer to the likes of Uber and, and Airbnb and these new sort of technologies and, and approaches, and it does apply to them. Also, I would also apply it to um, the big e-marketplaces like Amazon and eBay, but it also other types of uh, platform, online platform that enables selling in any way. And, and so we're looking at social media like Facebook and Instagram. We're looking at Gumtree, the, the, you know, and, and so on, many others as well. The, the point is, the theme is, it this massive increase in the possibility and the ease of selling things by, by any particular individual be they, uh, you know, uh, well-meaning but inexperienced uh, seller who's trying to do the best or if, if it's criminals or if it's legitimate traders or whoever. That opportunities are, are so expanded now from what they used to be. The sorts of platforms that, if you like, introduce the buyer and seller but don't actually enable the, the purchase to be made, such as the social media platforms and Gumtree and so on, they very much do present the opportunity to further, you know, the, 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 this particular trade. And the first thing to say is is, is identifying lo- and locating the, the seller. We, we you can't always, don't always know who the seller is or where they are. But also, even if you can make progress along that interaction with them, can be difficult because it's not entirely clear who they are and where they are. Second point I would make would be um, the need for assistance from the platform operators which, you know, can be good, not always as, as instant, as immediate as we would like. I also think an important, very current point on this is that um, Brexit may make this more difficult in the future. Uh, it seems to me that the Consumer Protection Corporation Partnership, uh, uh, you know, the, the consumer protection uh, arm of, of, of the EU with the countries coming together, you know, the big mega platforms in particular were taking heed of th- those conversations with the CPC. And I'm not sure how effective we're going to be out with that framework, but time will tell with that. And the third point, uh, third ma- main point is, is, is this whole issue of is the seller and trader business, something very familiar to uh, trading standards officers from time immemorial in terms of small ads and newspapers and you know when does somebody sell a handful of cars when does they, they, they go from being a private individual into being a trader and it's a difficult assessment and that is just so magnified now uh, with these massively increased opportunities for this type of uh, sales to be to be carried out online Previously, it was a few small ads in the news, local newspaper or, or at the local supermarket on the on the you know the the board there. But now it's all it, it's all over the place through all these different types of platforms that people are interacting with every day. Presumably, it's possible to tell if there's this, the same person or the same group of people putting up multiple adverts on different platforms or different sites to the extent to which it's apparent that they're doing it as a business or, or an illicit operation. Yes, absolutely. And that can be legitimate, can't it? People can have something something to sell. They want to do it right. They do do it right. 
And, and these are the opportunity, expanded opportunities we're looking at here. But as you say, if you've got somebody who hasn't got such good intentions, they may well use different phone numbers, different, you know, different uh, burner phones or whatever, different identities. Different, it's so easy to create an email, another email address for yourself. And, and they can easily hide behind that. And, it, and it's so labor intensive for trading, local trading standards teams to try and monitor that over a period of time. It's almost impossible. So a key theme for me right across e-commerce and relevant to this as well is we absolutely do need cooperation from um, the platforms. We need to get them on board. Um, we're talking about mega platforms based in California, but we're also talking about businesses based in the UK, you know, especially in this particular trade where there's well-meaning and, and effective uh, web operations that can enable legitimate sales of, of puppies to happen. But you know, they've got to be making the right checks on the, on the sellers as as anybody who's 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 enabling that kind of sales to be doing we would certainly urge them to be making those uh, checks on the on their sellers and and prohibiting anybody who's 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 dodgy in any way and and I think it's important that trading standards and other enforcers think about you know disrupt disruption techniques as well um that it's not just a case of doing a full investigation and getting all the information and tracking people down reporting them you know, for prosecution. That is absolutely vital that we do that. But what I'm saying is for some of the smaller scale cases, it may be appropriate to, to simply disrupt. And, and all these platforms have, you know, report illegal uh, non-compliance type forms on them and all that. And I don't see any problem with trading standard staff using them in the same way that a member of public could use them. Um, so I think we need to be versatile and we need to be creative in the way we deal with things and we need to look at all the opportunities that are there. Mike, I'll come to you next. If you could sort of give us some idea of what you think has been driving the uptick in this problem over the past few years. The Scottish SBCA has been working heavily with uh, the puppy trade through a thing called Operation Delphin for the last five years, which involves ourselves, the RSBCA, HMRC, Police Scotland, Trading Standards Scotland and all the Irish SPCs, because traditionally our biggest problem was that pups coming in from Southern and Northern Ireland, and it's starting to come back again. It did drop at the beginning of COVID, uh, but as we've already heard, there's an increasing amount of pups and dogs, adult dogs, coming in, particularly we've had them from Spain, Cyprus, but particularly recently from Romania, and that brings its own whole set of problems, disease-wise, etc. On the traditional side of it, COVID has caused a massive problem and it's all down to the public's unwillingness to spend time finding a reputable breeder and being, and I don't want to upset anybody, but being stupid enough to hand over £2,000 in a car park with somebody that the only way they can trace them is a mobile number. As you've already heard, a lot of the people we're dealing with, and they've got regular clients, shall I say, are using burner phones. They'll maybe sell three or four letters, that number's gone, so you'll never trace it. Or it's the IP address. You ever try and find out the location of an IP address, you're a far better person than me. In the last, since December, we've seized over 150 pups from two jobs, and in the last month, about 20 from five different jobs in Glasgow, where... Um, certain people from Ireland are renting pr properties, so they're inviting people to a property, they're buying the pup, thinking they're going to a reputable place, I can tell with the address and all this kind of stuff. You go three days later, they're gone, they've only been there for two days. Two of those jobs involve two brothers that we caught uh, in different addresses two weeks apart. So it's already been highlighted 
that there is a huge link to small time and large scale organised crime. I think the last figures I got was that during COVID, we've had 157% increase in the amount of people complaining to us about uh, welfare issues with pups. Nobody ever phones the SSPCA and says, I've spent £100, £5,000, and my pup's perfectly healthy and it's going to have a long, long life. They've all got welfare problems, um, and that can be physical, immediate physical, after one, two weeks, or if is it not physically ill and it's come from a puppy barn, it'll probably be psychologically damaged, so that's when you get a lot of problems after three and six months. Out of that 157% increase in complaints, one related to a registered breeder, and that breeder was very reputable. Their agreement is if you've got a problem with the dog, you come back to us and we'll sort it out. The person that complained to us didn't do that. Every other one of them was just purely for profit. I think what's already been highlighted, and people go, why are criminals getting into um, pups? If you're caught coming into Cairn Ryan with £20,000 worth of drugs, you are going to go to jail. You come in with £20,000 worth of pups, which is the exact same profit, you'll be lucky if you get a £500 fine because you've saved them from some horrible place in Ireland and all this kind of stuff. We do get people coming in. We used to get them coming in with up to 100 pups at a time. They've been caught that many times. They're now there's one family... Three members of the family are coming over every second day with five or six pups saying that, oh no, these are just for members of my family. But they come in and they can make £2,000 in 24 hours back and then two days later they're back again. Um, they're incredibly difficult to trace unless you actually catch them because the majority of people that contact us have bought them off the internet. The pups have been delivered and some of these people have been clever enough saying, oh, normally you could come to us, but because of COVID, we have to come to you. So people think, oh, I'm being duped. We've already heard that they're using uh, fake brood bitches. So when you go, you go to a premises, whether it's a real house or a, a rented house, a literally West Highland pups, and there's a West Highland bitch, doesn't mean that that bitch is the mother of those pups. Uh, and an easy way to tell that is you go towards the pups, the real mother will show interest in you. If it's no hard pups, she'll not be interested. These people are only interested in cash. They prefer cash settlements because it's harder to trace. Um, you're talking very, very clever people and they've got no regard for you as the buyer. Uh, once they've got your money, they're gone. We've had people getting death threats uh, because they, that they do know who sold it to them and they've been told. We've had one man in court well over two years ago now who admitted in open court he had made 1.5 million in 18 months just selling pups. Um, and he came from a, a different criminal past. So people really have to be aware and just stop the impulse buying. Um, they see a pup, they think, oh, it's, it's lovely, it's gorgeous. We've already heard about a lot of fake charities or people pretending to be charities, bringing in rescue dogs from Romania, allegedly from kill shelters. A lot of them aren't coming from kill shelters. They'll bring them in. Okay, they look cheap. The last one I saw, you, they'll deliver a, a dog for £260. And that's going to result in a prosecution because the dog should never have been transported in the first place. It was in horrendous condition. We've uncovered, who say, dodgy vets. Um, a lot of the certification that people are given is fake. You can get very good photocopies now of kennel club papers and that. But we've come across a lot of false veterinary certificates. A pile that came in from Ireland. Oh no, the dog was vaccinated. It is there. The vet didn't even exist and a little bit of homework could have helped some people avoid being caught that way. One I've just found out the other week, I was researching something else. It's so simple, you see it on the website and there's a mobile number 
come out of that site, put that mobile number in, and if it's numbers being used to sell other pups, it'll highlight it. The one I was looking at was for a golden retriever pup in Shetland. The same number was being used to sell French bulldogs and pampions in London, Birmingham, Glasgow and Aberdeen. So that was obviously a, a fake, a, a con, a total con, or a, a, a dealer that was dealing in there. So we're not asking people not to take on pets. If somebody makes a fortune selling perfectly healthy pups, you'll have your blessing. But just slow down and protect yourself. And the worst case I personally know of was a woman, the total cost was £7,000, £2,500 for an English bulldog, the old Winston Churchill type. Within five weeks, £4,500 vet fees, and the last vet bill was to put it to sleep because they just couldn't help it. Her biggest concern when she contacted us, her son will never want another pup. They'd fallen in love with and just watched it die. So there's many, many angles. People are getting conduit money. There's so many trading standards offences going on. And Trading Standards Scotland and local authorities have been drawing and they're doing everything they possibly can. But we're fighting against an increasing tide and it's only because of the amount of money that's being made. Diane and, and Steph, could you perhaps tell us a bit about Lucy's Law? Lucy's Law basically is that uh, no, there should be no third-party sellers of uh, cats and dogs basically now we're talking about dogs in this instance because that's where the bigger problem is it's with these puppies so we shouldn't see anybody selling pups without um, a mum basically being with the pups so that then has brought in problems people are becoming more and more aware of lucy's law like you say with covid that hasn't helped matters because we are aware of people sort of um, meeting along motorways to exchange money to take pups and they said oh we've had to leave mum at home etc the law is quite clear if you, if, if you are um, having a pup then mum should be with the pup and that's not only Lucy's law but it's also within um, licensing of activities which involved animals which includes breeding and pet sales so it's outlawed basically if you are going to buy a pet dog um, you've got to see it with mum if you're going if you're going to buy uh, an animal You've got to get it from from breed from the breeder. Um, those third party sales basically have, have been banned through Lucy's Law. And Diane, is is that the case in Scotland as well? Has Lucy's Law been brought in there, or is there an equivalent? It's, it's going to come in in September, um, so it's not been implemented yet. But I think the, the law has been written, so it's hopefully going to come in September. There was just one kind of issue that maybe Steph will be able to elaborate better on. Was a sort of loophole in it. So if you maybe own a pet shop, for example, in England, but you can also be licensed as a breeder, but potentially anywhere else. So you could be licensed in Ireland and own the pet shop in England and then still be able to bring large shipments of puppies over. Because even though you would think it'd be somebody different supplying the pups, it's actually the same person because, because they own it and they license it. So what this is always obviously trying to prevent is numerous breeding bitches and endless supply of pups. But because of this slight loophole, you could end up tripling the amount of breeding bitches you could have. And then there is this constant supply of pups again being available to, to the public. Yeah, th there is that loophole and that's something we do have to be mindful of. I think the other complication that we have within England as well, which is not so prevalent in Wales or, or Scotland, is that we have a number of two-tier authorities where within those two-tier authorities, um, so for instance, county council, you've got the trading standards function within the county council, but the district councils um, 
basically have got environmental health, which have got the function for the licensing and the pet shops. And again, it's making sure because of that, there's, there's a, a crossover responsibility from a trade and standards perspective. We're looking at obviously the, uh, the consumer side and the animal health and welfare side, but the licensing aspect comes down to a district function. Um, but you're absolutely right in relation to sort of Lucy's law. Um, they could be, uh, you know, have licenses as breeders outside of the UK and then bring them in um, basically to sell them. Yeah, that was highlighted in a exposure by private eye last week under the head of Lucy's flaw. Uh, and it is that loophole that they were warned about when they brought it in that relates to an English breeder in England. But if you're breeding them in Wales and selling them in England, you didn't breed them in England. There's a danger with the new licensing um, legislation that Diane's mentioned. Um, they're going to license rehoming activities. And we're concerned and we've raised it with the government that people will say, no, I'm not a breeder or anything. I'm acting as a rehomer. That was intended for the, the very few legitimate people that are bringing them in from abroad. So they didn't breed them or anything. Um, but I can see that some of the people we deal with trying to use that as a loophole. And we're working with Scottish government to try and close that before it, it's left open. David and Steph, I know that you're both on the CTSI Brexit think tank. Could you give us some idea of what the potential implications are of Brexit on this? With our withdrawal from the EU, there is unfettered access through Northern Ireland, and that was because, uh, quite rightly so, there is not um, any, there was never any intention to put a hard border on the island of Ireland. So um, that unfettered access then basically is a bit of a backdoor into GB, and it is a known threat. It is one that we've raised concern in relation to where you've got live animals that are coming into uh, GB to be landed. They've got to come through a border control post. We've only got probably about 20 border control posts from water and probably about 10 from air to, to land animals into, into the UK. They have to be pre-notified using a system called IPATHS, which is the invitation of, I think it's plants, animals, food and feed. Um, and it's a system which is a, a UK system. So they have to have that pre-notification. Um, coming through these border control posts, certainly from the 1st of July this year, everything, even those from the EU, will all have to come through the these BCPs um, and have documentary tech checks and ID checks based upon on risk, etc. Now, with the tighter controls we've already put in at the ports, prior to our departure from the EU, um, a number of animals have already been identified as coming in uh, illegally. Those animals have then been put into quarantine and subsequently, you know, they get put into quarantine until they, they uh, had their 21 days for uh, the rabies, for anti-rabies vaccination. There's a cost attributed to that and for each animal that goes into quarantine, you are looking at many hundreds of pounds up towards thousand pounds, depending on which quarantine can you go into. There are only about six or seven quarantine kennels for the whole of the UK. There are not that many. And we are finding it challenging then if the kennels are full of pups that have come in from abroad to get any other illegal landings into some of these kennels. That's how, how difficult it is. If you are a person who would normally have come in through one of the normal routes into, into the UK, so for instance, into Dover is probably one of the main routes into the UK across the water. Come into the UK, and if previously with our, obviously our relationship with the EU and they'd got that unfettered access from the EU, they probably wouldn't have been stopped. They could have had that free transit into the UK and then disperse copies from there. Because we've got these extra control measures in place now, for every consignment that comes in, if it gets stopped, 
and those animals are found not to comply with our health requirements for the UK with the rabies, those animals going to quarantine, that is a cost implication for that individual bringing it in. Plus, there's a risk there of them being prosecuted for the illegal landing of those animals. So in order to get around that and to avoid going through border control points, these border control posts, the threat is, is that we know that goods are going to come through Northern Ireland with this unfettered access because the likelihood is, is there won't be those regulatory checks being made because of that unfettered access into GB. Um, and we suspect that what will happen is that the trade, which probably would have previously used perhaps Calais Dover, will now start to come in into sort of Southern Ireland across the EU and then through to Northern Ireland and Northern Ireland into Scotland. And I'm already aware that we've had a number of people who've already seen puppies coming through that route, uh, whereas previously we know that there's a lot of breeding that goes on in Southern Ireland. We know that there's a lot with Irish puppies that come in. I think somebody's mentioned on today that, you know, they've had dogs that have come from Romania. We suspect that's likely going to be the case going forward, that we'll see more dogs coming in from Europe, but via Ireland into, into, into GB. It's a fast-evolving situation as well, fast-changing situation. It's very hard to predict exactly how it's going to go. You know, and the politics, uh, with a small P and a big P, very much impacting on this. Um, you know, there has to be a border somewhere, logic would suggest. If there's not a border, you know, the thing about the border on the island of Ireland, you know, everyone is against that, it would seem. So that, to all intents and purposes, there is some kind of border in the in the in the Irish Sea, I, I can't see any other way of uh, interpreting the, the withdrawal agreement and the, and the trade deal in, in those terms. But the UK government is going to be, and, and Northern Ireland authorities are going to be under so much pressure from probably a majority of the population in Northern Ireland to, to not disrupt that unfettered access that, that Steph's talked about. So uh, this is, you know, this, this is an obvious backdoor to the, to the, to the Great Britain um, for uh, undesirable goods of all kinds, you know. Diane, from your point of view as a trading standards officer, the, the, the current mechanisms and sort of pieces of legislation that are in place, where do you think they fall short? What, what do you think could be perhaps tightened up a bit? Licensing um, is probably an area in the past that, that hasn't been ideal. So in Scotland, um, if you're going to be breeding more than four litters a year, you have to be licensed by your uh, local authority. It could be trading standards, it could be environmental health. It, it depends on the authority. Um, and when you're licensed, you will get checks from the local authority um, to make sure your premises are suitable, animal welfare checks, everything is above board. But the problem with this is those that fall underneath the four litters, um, there's no requirement for them to be licensed. So then there's no requirement for them to be inspected. No checks are made, but they still could be breeding dogs in appalling conditions. Um, and consumers could still be falling at the hands um, of these breeders and losing a lot of money and losing their dog if it's not bred properly. So that has been a big issue that we have found. However, there are new licensing laws coming in um, this year. This is now reducing it to two litters uh, per year um, for uh, that you have to be licensed for. So that has definitely tightened up things and hopefully should make it easier for consumers to find reputable breeders. It might even encourage more people in Scotland um, to become breeders and kind of fill the gap here rather than having to import dogs and, and have dogs suffering in those lengthy transportations over here. 
the key thing I would say is that puppies, unfortunately, they fall out of being a priority for people when it comes to enforcement. And you look at priorities that accept local authority, it's not necessarily a, a, a priority area. It's very difficult to cross those authorities where you've got two-tier authorities, like a county and a district anyway, particularly if the, the district has got the breeding and the pet shop licensing and the county has got trade and standards aspects. From a trade and standards aspect, a puppy is a commodity exactly the same as any other good that we will deal with. The difference being it's a sentient being, and at the end of the day, um, you know, nobody should be trading in these types of goods. You know, at the end of the day, we should be looking um, quite clearly at the mischief that's being caused because it is significant. There is a lot of money that's being made and we should be looking at taking people to task who are, you know, actively um, involved in this trade. I think we should look at it in relation to the fraudulent trailing, trading, the consumer protection regulations, the animal welfare aspect, um, and try and, and ensure that, you know, where we do get opportunity to investigate and we've got sufficient evidence that we justify it, that we, we get those cases put before the courts. For those of us who have put cases forward, we've had some very good outcomes, you know, some good custodial sentences and some good returns in relation to the proceeds of crime. I think the other thing as well is that certainly within England, where we've had people who've been convicted for offences for fraud and consumer protection, um, on conviction, if we haven't had animal welfare offences included, we've had criminal behaviours or criminal behaviour orders that have been considered, which are on the same basis as a, uh, a disqualification under the Animal Welfare Act. That again is a really good deterrent because what it can do is that criminal behaviour order can actually stop people having anything to do with dogs going into the future or animals where they can have any influence or control. Um, so I think it's looking at everything that we've got in our toolbox that's available to us um, and we need to start to perhaps prioritise this a little bit higher than maybe some authorities have done so in the past. Well, that's it for another episode. Thanks to Diane Bryson, Mike Flynn, Steph Young and David McKenzie for speaking to us and thank you for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. In the meantime, if you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast or you just want to get in touch, send us an email to madetomeasure at jtsmag.uk. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.